Well, our text this morning is uh, Galatians 5, verses 16 through 26. And if you're using the Bible under the chair in front of you, you will find that on page 975. So the first part of chapter 5, where we were last week, uh, Paul's emphasis is that we have been set free. Of course, we've been talking about freedom throughout, uh, but he puts very emphatically that you have been called to freedom. We have been called to freedom. And now we shift to the second part of chapter 5 today where the the emphasis is now, so how do we live that way? How do we learn to live in the freedom that is ours in Christ? Uh, Dennis began last week with uh, a very powerful uh, picture, a very powerful quote uh, from Booker T. Washington, uh, a former slave who was set free. And then had to learn to live in that freedom and then committed his life to helping others, other former slaves learn what it is to live in the freedom that they now had. And the quote is this. Booker T. Washington said, It's one thing to be set free. It's an entirely different thing to live free. Well, that's the truth, that's the tension that we find in our passage today that Paul is addressing here in Galatians 5, 16 through 26. Uh, Before we hear God's word, I invite you to pray with me. Lord God, we thank you that you are a God who has spoken, that you are a God who speaks, even today, through your word and by the power of of your spirit to our hearts and our minds. And we pray that you would do that transforming work again. That this would not be just a, an intellectual exercise for us, but Lord, that you would continue that deep work of transformation in us. That we would see you, that we would believe you, that we would trust you, that we would grow in the grace and the freedom that is ours in Christ. And so would you now open us to your word, and your word to us. We ask it in Jesus. Amen. So again, our passage is Galatians 5, uh, verses 16 through 26. Uh, However, I'm going to start where we left off last week and begin with verse 13. So now hear the word of God. From Galatians 5, beginning with verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, 
enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things, those who make it a practice of doing such things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the Word of God. It's given to us for our good and ultimately for His glory. So let's turn to it now. Well, again, Booker T. Washington, former slave, set free. It's one thing to be set free. It's an entirely different thing to live free. I remember when that became crystal clear to me. I hadn't heard the quote before, but it was the summer of uh, 1994, and I was on a, a college missions trip to Ukraine. And I saw it in my new friend, Igor Yeremenko. Uh, Igor was my roommate uh, at the Kiev Pedagogical Institute uh, in Kiev, Ukraine. Igor was uh, a former Soviet soldier. Uh, he drove army tanks for the Soviet Union. Uh, he had grown up under communism uh, during the Cold War. Of course, if you're familiar with that uh, part of history, you know that in 1991, uh, communism fell the fall of the USSR. And so here I was two and a half years later uh, with a former Soviet soldier as my roommate. And so, of course, we talked about freedom. I was so curious to know what it was like to have this newfound freedom. And I remember, I'll never forget, his first response was, Camper, we have been set free, but we don't know how to live in freedom. We just don't know how to do it. It's... He called it a paper freedom. He said, we've got the documents, they've been ratified, they've been agreed upon by the various governments, but we don't know how to live in this freedom. We still live as if we're in bondage. Well, that's the same situation for the Galatians. And Paul knows that's the same situation for the church everywhere, for us today, that we've been set free but that we must continually learn what it is to walk in the freedom that is ours in Christ. And so today in our passage, uh, Paul addresses two questions. Uh, he addresses the struggle. Why, why do we struggle to live in the freedom that is ours? And then another question that he answers, addresses, is, how do we learn to live in that freedom? It's ours. How do we learn to be people who are free? So first, why do we struggle to live in the freedom that is ours in Christ? Uh, to live as those set free. 
let's look at the beginning of our passage, verses 16 and 17. If you'll follow along again, I'm going to read it slightly more literal translation. And I want you to just pay attention, just slight differences, but I, 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 you'll be able to follow along fine, and I, I think it'll help us hear this part of the passage better. Paul writes, But I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, so that you do not do the things you want to do. And so here we encounter, well, at least at the beginning, uh, two key words, flesh and spirit. So what do these, these words mean? Because this is very important to, to our, our struggle. Uh, John Stott and, and Tim Keller, among many others, speak in terms of the two natures that are at work within every Christian. And so Paul is contrasting the flesh and the spirit in these verses. So first, let's look at this word flesh. Flesh comes from the Greek word sarx. It's transliterated S-A-R-X. Now, whenever we come across this word in, in the New Testament, and it's opposed to the Spirit, what it doesn't refer to is our physical nature, as opposed to our spiritual nature. Uh, Paul, Paul is not at all trying to say, there is this bad physical side of you and this good spiritual side. Now let's get that straight. That is not what is going on. When we encounter the word sarx, it refers to the sin-desiring aspect of our whole being, as opposed to the God-desiring aspect. Now, depending on your Bible translation, uh, most likely the, what you will find is sarx will uh, be rendered as sinful nature or the flesh. So the flesh, in our, our case, it's not about the body, but about our sinful heart or rather about the, the part of our hearts which isn't yet fully renewed by the Holy Spirit. So the second of those key words, spirit, no surprise, refers to the Holy Spirit. The one who dwells within the Christian, the one who dwells in you. So the spirit can be thought of as the renewed Christian heart, made alive, enlivened, animated, by the Holy Spirit. You see, when we became Christians, the Spirit entered our hearts and has begun a renewal that is now our new nature. And so we have the flesh, our sinful nature, and we have the Spirit, our new nature. Uh, theologians agree that these two natures are what Paul refers to in Ephesians 4. You may be familiar where he speaks of the old self and the new self. There's a battle going on between them. So let me stick with my Cold War theme. There is nothing that says Cold War quite like the movie classic Rocky IV. <laughs> Rocky Balboa, the American, versus Ivan Drago, the Soviet. In fact, he was a Soviet soldier. Now, theme song from, uh, from 1985 for, that, uh, for Rocky IV was from the, uh, the Grammy Award-winning and Academy Award-nominated American uh, rock band Survivor. 
Now, they're probably best known for an earlier work, Eye of the Tiger. I'm sure you all know that. Uh, we will play it in just a moment. <laughs> but this particular year, their, their number one hit and the theme song for Rocky Four is Burning Heart. And it really, as I listen to those words, which I confess I actually listen to those words quite a bit in my normal life, uh, but they really speak to the conflict that we find here. Two worlds collide, rival nations. It's a primitive clash venting years of frustrations. Bravely we hope against all hope. There is so much at stake. Seems our freedom's up against the ropes. But does the crowd understand? Is it east versus west or man against man? And the point is this. Rocky IV is always taking place within our hearts. It's always going on in there. Two worlds collide, rival natures. Two natures opposed to each other's, an, uh, an ongoing clash. And as Paul has been emphasizing, there is much at stake. Seems our freedom's up against the ropes. But does the crowd understand? Rival natures. Freedom at stake, but does the crowd understand? And that's what Paul is addressing here. Do you and I understand what is truly going on in our hearts all the time? Well, here's a basic summary of what is going on in our hearts. Now, before someone becomes a Christian, all they have is the sinful nature. There may be some tension that's experienced uh, because there's some moral de de desire. But there's only the sinful nature until the Spirit enters. When you put your trust in Jesus, the Spirit enters in and changes your heart, giving you a new nature, and this is when the conflict begins. So now, verse 17, the believer desires to live for God, to live by the Spirit, yet finds himself following his sinful nature so that you do not do the things you want to do. And if we take God's word seriously, we have to admit that this is every single one of us. In fact, Paul speaks of his own personal struggle in Romans 7. And so the question is, why do we struggle to live in the freedom that is ours in Christ well, in part, it is because we don't truly understand and we don't always recognize the conflict that is going on in our hearts. In verses 19 through 21, Paul lists 15 works of the flesh. Fifteen there. It's not an exhaustive list. I mean, he ends uh, that section by saying that these sins are among many others. Sins like these. So it's a, a representative list, and a helpful one to look at in detail. We're not going to do that uh, this morning. But what I do want to highlight about the sins listed is that they're all actions and attitudes with a common root. And that brings us to a third key word uh, in this passage, and that's the word desire. The desires within us. So what's the, the precise nature of the battle? of the conflict within. Well, it's a battle between the desires of the flesh against the Spirit. That's what Paul writes at the beginning. 
Well, this is a, a, another important Greek word, and, I, and I'm going to highlight it because it's really a tough one to trans, translate in English. Desire, the desires of the flesh. It, it comes from the Greek word epithumia. Now, in some versions, the word is translated lust. Anybody got, got a, a version this morning that has translated lust? Yeah, and, and the problem with, with that is that it misleads the reader to think really only in terms of sexual lust. And there's much, much more going on. In fact, it's much deeper than that. Now, in other versions, like the one that, that we use here, uh, we have the, it's translated desire. But that's not quite uh, helpful either, because desires in and of themselves are not bad. We could easily begin to think, ooh, desires. If we can just quench desire and be stoic, then we won't have any problems. And that is not true. Desires are God-given. They are good gifts from God, from a good creator to his people. He wants us to enjoy. So here's the deal. Uh, the word epithumia literally means epi-desire or over-desire. It's an inordinate desire. In other words, it is a desire gone wild. An all-consuming drive and appetite. A hyper-desire. So think about it this way. Do you have a pulse this morning? I hope so. And I hope it continues at least through the end of the service. Uh, a, a pulse is a good thing. I mean, you need a heartbeat to live. But a hyper-pulse is a bad thing. It's a good thing that has been shifted into overdrive and thus becomes bad. A bad thing that can kill. So, let me summarize the, the problem. The, the main problem is not so much that we desire bad things, but that we over-desire good things. The sinful nature turns something good into a God. Turns a good thing into a God thing, claiming that we must have this. We must have it to be okay, to be free, to be right, to just be myself, whatever it is. We think we, we, we need it to know real security, significance, or satisfaction. These over-desires are sinful because they deny that God is all we need. It's back to that Jesus plus something. Oh, I have Jesus, but I so desire fill in the blank. We've all got him. Now, I was sitting there trying to think uh, this week of a, of a personal example, just to, to walk through. And then it hit me, I was in the middle of a personal example as I was preparing my sermon. Because I have a desire, a good desire, to preach well. I mean, this is God's perfect word. It's a good desire to want to say the right things and to help people hear clearly what God's Word says. But, you know, almost inevitably, at some point on Friday or Saturday, there is this over-desire that kicks in, and it works itself out in this, uh, this inordinate anxiety. Now, what's behind that is really what the question is. Because not only do I, I want to preach well and help you hear clearly, but then the sinful nature kicks in. Yeah, but Camper, what, what if you fail? What if, what if the sermon is a mess? What if people think less of you afterwards? 
And it's at the, those moments that my identity stands or falls on whether or not I preach a good sermon. And the answer is not to preach a good sermon. You see, my heart is, is controlled by an over-desire telling me that I must have this thing. I've got to have it for real security, significance, satisfaction. It's the desires of the flesh, my sinful nature, warring against my spirit, the new nature. So how do we deal with these over-desires? How do, how do we then address when we recognize this flesh-spirit conflict? Well, that leads to our second and, and last question. So lastly, Paul addresses the, the larger question of, of how then do we learn to live in this freedom that is ours? Learning to live as those set free. Verse 18. If you are led by the Spirit. Friends, if you have looked to Jesus, you are led by the Spirit. And so if you are led by the Spirit, then you are, true, then you are truly free to learn freedom. In Christ, by the power of the Spirit, you are free to be who you were created to be. Free to grow in Christ-like character. But here's that word freedom again. And so often, I mean, how do we think of freedom? We often think of it in terms of no boundaries, right? I mean, just no restraints, give me full reign, that is freedom. But that is to misunderstand freedom. Like poor little Elsa in the animated film Frozen. She sings, it's time to see what I can do. To test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. I'm free. Now after hearing that song, it, it actually made me think of a commercial that I loved when it came out. It was several years ago. Uh, Ford truck commercials. And their slogan at the time was Ford trucks, no boundaries. And then it would be just a very brief clip, and you would watch one of their trucks. Actually, it was a Ford Explorer. You would watch it driving over cities. Not through them, but like over the buildings. <laughs> and you would then watch it drive, you know, just a straight-up vertical mountain. You know, look at the fine print. Do not try this at home. But my favorite was the one where I saw the Explorer driving underwater. And I thought, that's the one that I want. Now, I do have a Ford Explorer. Uh, it's about 20 years old, and it runs pretty well most of the time. But if I think about the, those commercials, and I forget the fine print in them, and I think, wow, no boundaries. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free, I'm free. Let me just drive to the end of my neighborhood. Rather than wait on the ferry, I'm just going to drive under the James River. Now, is that freedom? No, I'm going to be calling Dalton. You see, we are only free when we live as we were created, my, my, as we were created to be. My, my Ford Explorer is only free when I drive it within the limits that it was created to be driven. That's where the joy comes in. 
We were created to be love God, love neighbor people. That's the best I could summarize it. We're created to be love God, love neighbor people, just like Jesus. And we get, we get a taste of it. It's what we see in the familiar fruit of the Spirit. Uh, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit, looking like Jesus, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. <clears throat> we were created to look like Jesus, to reflect Christ-like character. And that's seen, in part, in the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. Again, not, <clears throat> not an exhaustive list, but a, a beautiful represent, representative list. And as we near the end, I, I want you to note how Paul himself ends, <clears throat> ends this section of the letter. Verse 25, so if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit, if we live. In other words, if we're now alive, because if you're in Christ, you are alive. The Spirit indwells, animates you. If you're now alive by the Spirit, then continue in the Spirit. Sound familiar? What Paul's doing here, he's rephrasing. In fact, now he is answering positively an earlier question to the Galatians. <clears throat> Chapter 3, verse 3. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And there's that Greek word again, sarx. Are you now being perfected? Are you now being conformed to the image of Jesus? Are you now growing in Christ's likeness by the flesh? Or another translation, being perfected by human effort? Well, Paul's already rooted our justification in grace. Now he's clearly rooting the Galatians and our sanctification in grace. Justification that we're forgiven of sin accepted by God as righteous in Christ. And sanctification, that we are increasingly made to be like Jesus by the power of his Spirit. Reflecting on our sanctification, uh, PCA pastor and, and missionary uh, Josiah Bancroft speaks of a repenting faith. Uh, the two steps of walking by the Spirit. Two feet stepping one after the other, repentance and faith, repentance and faith. And he writes, as we walk this way, we will have a decreasing confidence in ourselves, the flesh, and an increasing confidence in the Holy Spirit to transform our lives. Do you hear that? Where do you find yourself putting your trust day after day? As you, as you long to grow in Christ's likeness, as you come up against these works of the flesh, in whom, on whom, are you relying? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by human effort? Or are you walking by the Spirit 
in continual repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I know growing up, I had kind of, and I grew up in the church, so I, I, would, I would look at Jesus, and there was kind of this love-hate relationship. Because I loved Jesus for what he had done for me, but man, he was so perfect, and I just couldn't be. Now, I tried really hard to pretend when people were watching, but I just couldn't do it. And I heard the moral teaching, and I wanted to have those good morals. I'm an oldest child, so i got to do things right. And then I came across years ago, and I've used this before. I find it so helpful. But John Stott uses an excellent illustration from William Temple, uh, former uh, Archbishop of Canterbury. It, it just speaks to this so well. He writes, It is no good giving me a play like Hamlet or King Lear, in telling me to write a play like that. Shakespeare could do it, I can't. And it is no good showing me a life like the life of Jesus and telling me to live a life like that. Jesus could do it, I can't. But if the genius of Shakespeare could come and live in me, then I could write plays like that. And if the spirit of Jesus could come and live in me, then I could learn to live a life like that. And this is the secret of Christian sanctification. It is not that we should strive in our own strength to live a life like Jesus, but that he, by his spirit, should come and live in us. That he, by his spirit, should come and change us as we trust in him. To have him as our example is not enough. We continually need him as our Savior. And friends, we must live in constant dependence on him, which is how we walk, by the Spirit. In other words, to walk by the Spirit is to stay rooted in the grace of Jesus. And again, we do so through continual repentance and faith. The two steps of walking by the Spirit. Now we all know that walking is a process. We all know that. Uh, it's something we learn to do. Children aren't born, come out of the womb, and, and hit the floor running. It doesn't work that way. We, we've all seen kids as they're learning to walk. And think about it. No loving parent, when their child stumbles and falls, kicks him while he's down or yells at her to get up. No. Instead, the parent joyfully picks up the child and encourages him or her in this process of learning to walk. And so it is with us. We're a people in process learning to walk. We will stumble and fall. Paul is making that crystal clear in this passage. We will do it. You will fail along the way. But he is just as clear that not only is God for us, but he is actively at work in us. Again, verse 25. If we're now alive by the Spirit, then let us also walk by the Spirit. Or as Paul says elsewhere, Colossians 2.6, 
Just as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so also walk in him. Walking by the Spirit. That's how we learn to live in the freedom that is ours in Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, walk by the Spirit. Walk in light of the gospel, day in and day out, in repentance and faith. Walk in the grace of Jesus. That is our freedom. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the gift of your indwelling spirit that we might know you powerfully and personally. We thank you that in Christ, through faith, we're able to truly grow in grace. And so, so Lord, we look to you now. Help us, help us to trust you. Walking by the Spirit and living in true freedom. It's in Jesus we pray.